You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Gonic Literature, uh, and where I call today's Shia Ripping the Daf Yomi. Now, ripping it, meaning that you learn the Daf Yomi and you feel, okay, I know what basically is in the Gemara, and I've been studying it, and it's important for me to learn it. Uh, many of us learn the Daf Yomi, and we have the page with Rashi Yitoisis, and maybe there's notes that you're using if you're having an art scroll Gemara and you're looking at stuff. Um, and especially this Masechta Ksuvis, that is the cycle that Dafyomi is holding in now, is a very beloved Masechta, Masechta that is known as Shas Koto. Now, I, I should tell you that I believe it's a misnomer. There are definitely Sugis in the first and second parak and, and later that sort of allow Ksuvis to spread its wings into other areas. But I think Ksuvis really is about um, understanding the nature of that document, the nature of the Hizchaibos that a husband has to a wife based in the Ksuva. And we know the Ksuvis is a very complex document. It's not necessarily written out in all its complexity. But we know from the Mishnayas, especially in the last couple of weeks of the Dafyomi, that there are many... Uh, stipulations in the Ksuba. And uh, one of them, of course, is that uh, Mizonos. Another one is the fact that um, there's going, you have to uh, take the responsibility a husband has, not just to feed her, which is Mizonos, but also that she's captured to bring her back. And also if she's sick to pay for her medical bills, and the Leolenu, if she dies, to take care of her funeral expenses. But there's another part of the Ksuva that is also mentioned very prominently, and that is what occurs with the children that are born out of this marriage. The, the Dafyomi, as if you're going through Ksuvas, we know that there is a tremendous concern about this couple's children. Now, when the Gemara was written, of course, there was no Takona Rabbeinu Gershon. And often a husband would have more than one wife. He might have had 10 wives, but he had enough wives that there could definitely be strife between all of the inheritors of all the heirs. But there was something more than that. Um, there was a worry on the part of each father-in-law, meaning the wife's father, about what would occur in this marriage. In those days, childbirth could often result in death. And often a woman's place is in the home. The home was not necessarily a safe place. Still not that safe, but it wasn't so safe in those days. And although today we understand that women generally outlive men, it was a real worry that a daughter that was given in marriage would die in her husband's lifetime. Now, that's the reality. But what's the problem with that? The problem is that the Torah, of course, gives the din Yerusha to the husband. So if the husband inherits his wife, everything that the father has given 
in the ksuva will never be paid out and it will be taken by the husband. Okay, well, what does the father give in the ksuva? Well, the, the, is, our Dafyomi has taught us recently that there was an idea of giving a tenth of liquid assets. That was called parnasa. It was called an isur, a tenth. But many fathers-in-law did more than give a tenth. They gave, they wanted to give more. They wanted to create a situation where the young couple would be in a solid ground. And this was, of course, was the dowry, the nadunya. Now, if the woman is divorced, or if her husband dies, the amount of the nadunya, when it was given, was estimated by, the, by these professional estimators, and the woman would get back at least some of the cash value of the nadunya or some of the actual items, including other things which we call which I'm not going to speak about today. The problem was there were husbands, as Ushima Bar Yochai is quoted in the Gemara saying, there were, there were fathers-in-law who did not want to afford a good nadunya, a good dowry to their daughters because they were afraid of the death occurring. If the death occurs, then all those household items, and it could be, you know, uh, you know tell them Don Pardo what they want. It could be, yes, a complete kitchen. Yes, a complete set, yeah, or everything. All the things that's called uh, the Nadunya, that would all go to her husband. All right. It was the breaks necessarily of, of life. What the father's law worried about was that there's going to be other children, other than his own grandchildren, children from his daughter. There's going to be other children from a previous marriage, from a new marriage. And now, they will split this. So although his grandchildren might get something, others would basically make use of the wealth that he had given to his daughter. This was clearly something Chazal already saw happening. And therefore, they, there was a Takana. Where was this Takana made? It seems to be quite early. Perhaps it was an Usha. Perhaps it was one of the earlier Takanas that Chazal made. And it was very inventive. It was called Ksuvas Binin Dichran, as you can see up here on the board. Ksuvas Binin Dichran. Um, how does that work? Well, it solves the problem of the father-in-law's hesitancy. Here's the way the, law, the Mishnah describes the language of Ksuvas Binin Dichran. And you can see it up here on the board. That he writes in the Ksuva, Binin Dichran, the Eibelochiminoi that if there are male children that we will have together, inun yarsun kesef they will get the money of your ksuva. Now that would be the, let's say the 200, that would be the tosefes that he gave, and also the nedunya. So it could be quite a bit of money. If the father-in-law gives the nedunya, let's say of, let's say, uh, who knows, $50,000 of, of kitchen supplies and other things, plus the ksuva itself, and the a husband gives it those sevens. All of that money, although when, if the woman predeceases the husband, is technically inherited by the husband, 
But all that money is estimated. And all that money is now, when that death occurs, the accountants know exactly how much money that is. And therefore, that money, in a way, is, although it's owned by the, the husband, it's sort of an escrow that when he dies, all that money will pass to the male children of the marriage with that woman. As the Rambam explains, let's say the following case, Ruvain marries Leah and the Ksuva and the Nadunya is altogether thousands of the Yoldebet and Ruvain has a child called Yair, and Leah dies, and now Yair is still alive. The Acherkach, Nasa Isha Cheres. Ruvain takes a second wife, Rachel. Rachel's father doesn't have so much money. Ksuva Benedictus is only Masayim, it's only 200 zoos. Maybe she's a widow, maybe she's not a virgin, but the whole thing is only 200. The older man, and Rachel has a child. Let's call that child Ephraim. So we have Yair and Ephraim. Reuven has two sons. The Acherkach Mesu, and now Reuven dies. How much money is left over? Well, <laughs> the Nedunya that was given uh, to Rachel was a thousand. All right. Now that was the Ksuva and the Nadunya. That wasn't a thousand dollars worth. Together with the Ksuva and everything else, that amount was a thousand. Be that as it may, whatever happened to these funds, there's not that much money left from Ruvain. How much does Ruvain have left? Ruvain has how much? He has two thousand. Ruvain has a total of two thousand. Zeus. So there's 2,000 Zeus. So Yair would be Irish, the thousand that was part of his mother's Ksuva. Remember, there's 2,000 total. So 1,000 goes to Yair. 200 of the 2,000 goes to Ephraim. How much is left? 800. Hashar Yorshimasobeshov. So the Rambam concludes uh, mathematically, right? If you're doing your math, it turns out you take 800, split it in two. So you can have 1,400, or as the second son, Ephraim, only gets 600 because he gets the 200 from, his, from uh, Rachel's Ksuva plus 400. So that is your classic case of Ksuvas bin and Dichrin. Now, Ksuvas bin and Dichrin, the Gemara says, seems to go against the Torah. <laughs> the Torah says that, well, it could be that, let's, let's assume that uh, you know, we have the Din of Bechor. So the Din of Bechor complicates things. Well, let's assume that there was a child that was born that, that, that had died, so we, we don't want to make um, Yair the Bechor. All right, so let's assume Yair is not the Bechor. There is no Bukhar, let's assume. Let's make it simple. So you have Yair and Ephraim. According to the Torah, Yair should get a thousand, Ephraim should get a thousand. 
Suvas bin Adichrin changes the Torah. Now, it's true, it does. However, as I'll say, the Torah isn't changed completely because in the extra money, remember, there's a thousand for Rachel's uh, Ksuba. There's 200 for Leah's. In the, because in the 800, you can do a split down the middle, we allow the rest to happen. In fact, the Gemara says, even if there's only a dinner left, even if there's only one dinner that we can split equally, we'll let Ksuvah's bin in different work. Because this will make sure that good dowries occur. All right? So that is the way it was drawn up. Now, the Talmud um, says that it works even if you don't write it in the Ksuba. It's part of the Tanai Bezdin. The, the Mishnah, I'm sorry, mentions there are many of these rules that the Ksuba, that even if it's not written in the Ksuba, must be followed. This is, Bezdin has said, any marriage of Jewish people that happen in any place in the world are governed by these rules whether they wrote it down or not. The same way if you don't even write a tzuba and the husband dies, she has a right to collect at least 200 zoos because that's a Tanai Bezdin. A Tanai Bezdin means that Bezdin sort of controls financial and relationships between everyone. And whether you write it or not, it's part of the constitution, so to speak. That's what Tanai Bezdin means. That's, why it's, that's what I mean, that it's, that it's a Tanai. Um, now, we know that there were some differences, even in Eretz Yisrael, of some of these ksuva rules. Um, for example, there was a discussion about one of the ksuva tenoyim was that uh, the daughters of a marriage that are the result of a marriage have a right to live in uh, their father's home even after he dies, until the time that they are, uh, are going to be, get married. Now, it could be it's till they become 12 and a half or, 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 or something, but there is a whole question that they have a right to live there, they have a right to have Mizonos there, their meals are taken care of, all of that is part, Bob, of a, of a Tanai Bezdin. There was a debate in Eretz Yisrael itself how long this uh, responsibility of feeding this widow and her, and her daughters is incumbent on the children, the sons of the dead man. And there's a question whether they can actually just pay her off and pay the children off and stop feeding them. And this was a machlokas uh, in, uh, among the B'nai Eretz Yisrael, what was the original Tanai and what every Ksuba should have. Um, However, Ksuvas bin Indichrin doesn't seem to have been a debate. It seems like all over Eretz Yisrael and all over Bovel, uh, Ksuvas bin Indichrin was accepted. What's incredible is, of course, the fact that, as the Ramah points out in Eben Ezra, it's not done anymore. What happened? What happened to something that was part of, as I said, we ripped, the Dafyomi seems to have been ripped off. The page seems to have been ripped away. It's in the there's there, there's there's lines and lines of discussion about it. 
For example, one of the questions that arises is, let's say, like in the case of the Rambam, um, in the case of the Rambam, unfortunately, uh, Rachel and Leah die, and it's only after Ruvain's death that the Ksuvah's been in different rears its head. Well, what about if uh, Rachel dies, but Leah isn't dead yet? What about if Ruvain predeceases Leah? Can Rachel's children, meaning Yair in that case, can he come and collect that big suva that Rachel had? Or does, right, because we know Leah is going to want to collect the suva as well. Maybe it's only after the, the, the principles are out of the, par, out of the situation that the boys start elbowing their way in. The Gemara is not clear about that. The Gemara is not clear about whether Ksuvah's been indifferent works that way. Um, also, what happens if, uh, let's make it a, sim a, sim a simpler case. Leia is alive, but she dies right after Ruvain dies. Is that also Ksuvah's been indifferent or is it only when they inherit through Ruvain? In other words, in the case that I just said, where Leia dies after Ruvain, so Leia gets a payout. Remember in the Rambam's case, Rachel had the bigger ksuva, Leia had the smaller one. So in that case, what happens? Well, Rachel's children would, would have the rights to the thousand zuz amount of the ksuva in the Nadunya based on the Tanai Bezdin. Whereas Leia's children, Leia's male children, will inherit her. Remember, she gets a payout because Ruvain died before she did. So when Ruvain dies, the 200 zuz now, which is the amount of her ksuva and the dunya, she now gets that payout. Well, she dies a couple months after her husband. Her children inherit her, right? But, mm, but they seem to inherit nothing from the other 1,000. Would we say Ksuvah's been indifferent in that case? Remember what I said before, Ksuvah's been indifferent, the Gemara wants to say, only happens where there's a real Yerusha. Well, it's true, there's a real Yerusha here, but Leah's children have not inherited Ruvain one cent. Remember, <laughs> well, in the case of the Rambam, they could, because there's still 800 left that they could still inherit. Well, let's say there isn't 800 left. Let's say, right, in the case, again, in the case of the Rambam, there was 1,200 and then 800. So in that case, even though uh, Ruvain dies first, Leia inherits, Leia gets the 200 as the payout. Then Leia dies. So Leia's children will inherit her, not Ruvain's children. Ruvain's children will get the 1,000, but the 800 that he left, again, remember, he left a total of 2,000. That 800, that, I guess, can be split. But let's say there is no 800. Would we say in that case, hmm, well, at least there is real Yerusha. Where's the real Yerusha? Well, Leah's children got 200. Leah died, she, and they inherit her. Or maybe, Suva's been indifferent means they have to inherit their father. So that is a question that is, is, is the Gemara 
seems to suggest, but is never dealt with. So there are complications here that aren't so clear. But in cases where it is clear, it would seem that that should be the halacha, that there should be ksuvas bin and dichren. And yet, as I said before from the Ramah, it sounds like it doesn't happen. The Ramah in Shulchan Aruch says that we, I, I have it, it, ksuvas bin and dichren is not collected. It's not just because it's not written, it's because it's not knowing. Now, how did that happen? How did it happen? The Ksuvas, I'm going to read to you from Simcha Asaf, who I believe is one of the greatest of the scholars who dealt with the Safras Hagonim. In many ways, most of what everyone does relies a lot on Reb Simcha Asaf. He was a Talmud Chokham of the very first order. I might have mentioned him in previous shiurim. Uh, to me, he is the ultimate teacher because he learned in the yeshivas tells. He learned uh, uh, with the great rabbonim and Rosh Yeshiva. And he, when he came, especially in Europe and then in Eretz Yisrael, he wrote scholarly articles based on his mastery of learning and his commitment to the ideals of that learning. He wasn't uh, a, a non-religious scholar. He was someone who took his learning very seriously. Um, I remember once that um, when I discovered one of his svarim in the house of Rav Nota Greenblatt, and I said to Rav Nota, I was a teenager at the time, probably about 17, um, or 18, maybe. And I asked Rav Nota, I said, Rav Nota, I said, who is this guy who wrote this Sefer? Because it was so, it was so interesting to me. And that was about 45 years ago. So Rav Nota said, Ersten, first of all, there's Nishkan guy. <laughs> Don't call him a guy. <laughs> this is a major Talmud Rochem. There's Nishkan guy. And it stuck with me. So I'm going to read you uh, something from someone who's not a guy at all. <laughs> He's Rav Simcha Asaf. So let's see what he writes. He says, Where in the Gemara's time, it was always there. There seems to have been changed an attitude towards this Ksuvas Benedichra. There seems to have been voices raised against it, and felt it should be eliminated. And because of those voices, it started to weaken. Now, however, the period of the Gonim is in a couple of hundred years. Says, In the beginning of the period, despite the fact that voices were being raised against it, the Gaonim who ran the yeshivas and were really responsible for law being enforced, but in the latter part, there seems to have arisen. And maybe it was a grassroots, or maybe the Gonim themselves decided that it should be eliminated. 
ואפילו אלו שכושרי ביניהם לבטו מכל וכל, even those that resisted the call and the psokim to eliminate it, they weakened it over what it was in the time of the Talmud. So, first he quotes the Gaonim from the earlier period. He quotes Rav Yehudoi Gaon. We've talked about him as either the author of the Bahag or one of the editors of the Bahag, and we've mentioned him often. So he says, he quotes the Bahag, the Rav Yehudoi Gaon, who wrote Havachos Psukos, and he says that that yes, that the Rabbanan of the Masifta say, the Yeshiva say that there should be Shuvah's been in different. And we've written it up in our Halachos Gedolos, the Lekalamezmine, do not deviate from that. So it sounds like in that early period in the eighth century. Should apply. Now, there's Rav Moshe Gon. We haven't heard about him yet. Let's see what he writes. He says, he was asked about Suvas bin Indichran in the case that I mentioned before, where Leah is still alive. So it's not about all the children inheriting the pot, you have the children of Ruvain inheriting their dead mother, and Leah, who's alive, inheriting the Ksuva herself, getting the payout of the Ksuva. Should Ruvain's children get the thousand? So he says, it does apply. Even though it's not in the Talmud specifically, even though it turns out that Leah's children have to wait for her and she can spend that money and maybe they'll never get that money. She'll go to Vegas with it. And if there's anything left over from Ruvain's estate, they split. Now, Rav Nachshon, hmm, he has a child, Yair. Then he marries Leah. And then he dies. Lazubana, Lazubana. All right, one or two children doesn't make a difference. There's a Yair, there's an Ephraim. Not Lashni Aksuba, but Leah's still alive. She gets her payout. Does Ruben's children have any different? So, what was it that Rav Nachshon Gon answered? He says, look, it's not in the Gemara, but the truth is, I'm sort of a little bit hesitant to paskin on something that's not clear. And the truth is, And when I did my research, I haven't heard about a case like this where the Ksuvas bin and Dichren was paid out while Leah was still alive, which means Ruvain's children just have to wait. Hmm, what do you mean they have to wait? I mean, Ruvain's dead. What it would mean is, is that the thousand, 
that supposedly it sounds like that a thousand would be split between Yair and Ephraim in that case, and they would lose out. Now, however, you see from Rav Nachshon that part of Ksuvah's bin and Dirkhan is definitely there, but in the case where Leah is still alive, Ksuvah's bin and Dirkhan, he doesn't know if it applies. Now, we finally get to the latter part, the later Gaonim. Hanina, Shrira, and Hai. That's a grandfather, a father, and a son. Those are the last period of the Gaonim in Gaone Pumpadisa, the last three. Hanina, Shrira, and Hai. The, the, um, the Rivosh, one of the later of Rishonim, uh, says that he has a tradition from these three that they were asked, is there Ksuvah's bin in Because they'd already heard that Rav Nitrunoy had said it shouldn't, it shouldn't happen today. Why? Mishum delo bishumam. Hmm. We don't know how to figure out amounts. And we can't figure out anymore exactly what it was the value when it was given and how much it's worth now and where that original Nadunya went. And we're not sure if there's leftover monies with which to fulfill the regular Din Yerusha. Let me explain it better. Suva's bin and Dichrin can only work if true Yerusha from the Torah happens. There's a 50-50 split. Forget about the Bukhar. If that occurs, at least in a dinner, we allow these other monies to be dispensed. Unfortunately, we don't know how to keep the records anymore. We're not sure. In the Rambam's case, where it's 1,200, it's easy. But in other cases, it's not so simple. It's not so simple where that Nadunya money is now and how much it was and how much it would be worth now. We're not, we, we don't know how to do the Shuma. And we're not sure exactly if when we start dispensing the funds, if this represents the Ksuva, or perhaps this is money that's beyond the Ksuva money. Because remember, the money has become worth more. And maybe they're not sure about the original amount that was given. It might've been 30, 40 years ago that the marriage occurred. And even though there's a record of, of, of what it was, how do we know exactly how that plays into the present time where they've been married for 40 years and now, hmm, is this that money from the original Ksuva? Perhaps it wasn't, perhaps those records have become vague and we're not sure. And therefore, because they weren't sure about the amounts and they weren't sure whether they could really have a Moser dinner, and people make mistakes. So therefore, these three Gaonim said, Why? You need a real estimate by experts in Bezdin. And we don't have that anymore. Unfortunately, the records are, are weak, and we have lost the capacity to have that financial acumen to figure stuff out. 
And it can't just be done by uh, the firm of Price Waterhouse. It has to be done by Besden. And since Besden has lost that expertise, we can't do it. Now, he says, If we know for sure that we've kept good records, and we know that both the amounts of the Ksuvas and the Nadunyas that were involved in it, we can clearly earmark it from 40 years ago till today, and we know there's extra money, we should definitely do it. However, it's, it doesn't happen much often. Now, um, so you see from that discussion that Ksuvas bin Indirchon is starting to be pushed uh, had an incredible biography. Uh, Sadyagon uh, claimed a lineage to Hanina ben Dosa. And therefore, Sadyu's son was Dosa. Not exactly a common name today, but that was Sadyu's son, Dosa. And, uh, you know, you have to take Dosa uh, in the proper measure, of course. Anyway, that uh, was for you, Bob. But the point is, is that Rav Dosa uh, quotes Rav Dosa was asked about Ksuvas bin Indichren. And this was way before Hanina and Shrira and Hai, about 80 or 90 years before him. And they were asked about, what about Ksuvas bin Indichren? Are we doing that or not? So he said, because he was asked, how come there's no Ksuvas bin Indichren anymore? And this was happening in Surah. He said, no, that's for Shalom, Shetekar Ksuvas bin Indichren. Yesh potakana gadolazu. But I don't see that people are demanding it. It's not that it's gone, Gravdosa said. Don't think that we were mavat of it. It's just that I don't find any boys wanting it. Gravdosa said, if someone would come to us and say, hey, Ksuva's been in there, I don't care if it's not written in the Ksuva. Based on the Talmud, I should be able to collect it. Gravdosa said we would do that. So you already see that years earlier, it wasn't happening. But we don't see that it was bottom. We don't see that. However, the Rosh quotes Rav Matis And he says that it was that what happened, that there was actually a bitl that the Gonim decided it's no longer relevant. Why? Well, we said before, practical reasons. The Rosh, quoting Ramatisio, says another reason. What's the reason why Chazal came up with it? We want daughters to get money. But something's happened. Maybe because of its success, fathers-in-law are giving tremendous amount of money to their daughters. In fact, they're giving too much away to their daughters at the weddings. So it's almost like the Takana worked too well to the point that we talked about Ruvain getting uh, uh, from his father-in-law. Let's call his father-in-law um, Shmuel. Shmuel has uh, had a daughter called Rachel who married Ruvain. But Shmuel has other children. He has Menashe, he has Levi and Yehuda. What happened was those boys ended up getting less 
the Ksuvas Benedirkon was working so well that people were not leaving over money to their male children. True, there was a lot of money going to, uh, to, to the daughters, which eventually would go to uh, uh, Shmuel's grandchildren, but Shmuel's sons weren't getting stuff. So therefore, the Gaonim said that this Takana has basically spun out of control. People give so much, and therefore, we're not going to have Ksuvas Benedichren anymore. And, and, we're, and, we're, and we're not going to let these people collect. In other words, by eliminating Ksuvas Benedichren, we wanted to restore a balance to the dinam of Yerusha. So, the, the Nedunyas were so large that there was no reason. And, and everybody, and, and let's put it better. Either people would limit their nadunyas, which is you know a, a belt tightening measure, or they'd keep the nadunyas. The whole thing was that the girls shouldn't be embarrassed. That, in other words, we sweeten the deal for Shmuel, the father, that his daughter Rochel should be able to get the fifty thousand, whatever it was, and she should have a good life with her husband. It's happening already. People aren't worried anymore about her dying early and, and the husband getting it. There's enough of a, a positive attitude about the wedding happening and that they're not steaming about it. And since it wasn't like it was in the time of the Talmud, in the time of the Talmud, these fellows were not giving their monies uh, to their daughters. And therefore the rabbis in a very early period were misaking ksuvas benedichre. But now it's not necessary anymore. Um, and this is the way the Matisio's uh, chuba the, is brought in many other sources that we find, that it was actually a bitl. Um, in fact, if you take a look at one of the Gonic sources that Rabsim Hasaf quotes, he says that, he says, the Levi she'yitein odem kibito, in our in, in the in those times, sons, Shmuels, other sons that we mentioned, Levi and Yudah, they weren't getting anything. Shirov Mneodam, Manichem as Binayam, below Michya. They're letting they're they're getting they're so frachapped by the wedding and their daughters having the big dowries, they're not leaving enough money to their children in their after they die. Their daughters are getting it good. He says, "Vikama pomim hutsra kadover lenados kol mishiyar b'matnas bitoy." It turns out that there were periods in the time of the Gaonim that they would actually uh, send a special uh, exhortation to a type of uh, father-in-law that was clearly spending so much was leaving nothing for inheritance for his sons. That they umenaduni yosemi died. They actually put them in Chayram. They said, you can't do this. And once that was happening, the Gaonim, according to this tradition, decided they got together. Again, this is a, it isn't just they stopped doing it. There seems to have been at least some of these Rabbonim. And we're not sure at what exact time it occurred. And we don't have the records specifically but from this source, it seems 
that there was an actual canceling, that the Gaonim felt they had the power to do that. Not just because practically they couldn't do, they couldn't do the Shuma, they couldn't figure out how much the money was worth, but rather they, they could, because remember, they felt that they were extending the Talmud. Nobody told them that they couldn't uproot dinim that are in the Gemara. And they did it. They said, no more ksuv has been in the Chazal did talk about giving a tenth. That you can do. A tenth of your liquid assets. That's good. So you give for Bobby Joe and Betty Joe and the other Joe. Each one gets a tenth. Okay? And Uncle Joe, right? Yeah, they could get a tenth. That's fine. But not these big ones. And therefore, Ksuva's been in Dichrin according to this. And this was, according, this was uh, ascribed to Shrira's father, Rabchananya. And this is the way it's brought by the Ritva and by the Rosh and all the Rishonim, that the Gaonim canceled Ksuvah's bin in Dichrin. Now, the Rambam, uh, when, he, uh, when he quotes uh, the Takanas of the Gaonim, one of the Takanas of the Gaonim, he does quote. And that was that Ksuvah can be collected from not only land, but from all liquid assets that a person leaves. According to the Gemara, you can only collect Aksuba. According to the Mishnah and the Gemara, a woman can only collect Aksuba from land. Aksuba was tethered to land. The Gaonim or Masake, that if a, a husband, if a father dies, that the girls, the girls, the women, could collect from their stepchildren or from their own children, from the estate, even from liquid assets that they inherited from their father, from the lazy boy chair, from the bedroom set, and they could demand that those be sold and given to them in the form of funds. This was a takana that the Gaonim made, and we could talk about this in a different time. And this was something that was accepted. Why? Because as society moved away from agrarian, uh, an agrarian life, where every household, every, every Ruvain who was married had a piece of land, as Jews were driven out and not allowed based on Muslim laws not to be landowners. So that takana made a lot of sense. And the Rambam quotes it as something that was nispashet b'chol Yisrael. And therefore, the Rambam, writ before him, rule that Bizman Azeh, based on what the Gaonim did in their legislative capacity, which clearly made sense because of the way life had changed, he would collect even from movable items, what we call nechosim she'eng lemachrais, metaltalim, as it's called, things that are moved. But the Rambam and the Rif do not bring <laughs> that, uh, that we cancel Ksuvas Benedichrit, that they do not bring. They, were they aware of it? Of course. But they clearly felt, despite what they wrote, that Ksuvas Benedichrin needs to be in effect. Now, uh, 
other Rishonim were asked about this. Spanish Rishonim were asked about it. The Rosh mentions the Ram. It doesn't mean the Ram, but it means from Meir Levi Abalapia, that he recognized, although he didn't necessarily know him, but he knew what he wrote. And we know the Rashba was asked about it. We know that the Rabbeinu Yonah was asked about it. Should there be Ksuvas Binindichrin? Ksuvas Binindichrin, we agree, should apply. One thing we'll say is that it doesn't apply to metalphobia. <laughs> In other words, basically, and you, took, and you look at the Rambam. The Rambam says, that a woman could collect the ksuba after her husband's death, even from movable items. And all the other tenayim of the ksuba as well, the mizonos, everything uh, could be collected from movable items. The only thing the Rambam says is not, is ksuvas binin different. Hmm. So, therefore, since ksuvas binin different, uh, it should be like the din of the Gemara, that it could be from the Karka. So this is a limitation, especially if you're talking about life without land. Ksuvah's bin indifferent applies, but it only applies the way it applied in the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara. Um, the Ritva, when he uh, quotes the Gaonim, that there was a Takon, he says, what right did they have to do that? They had no right. They don't have that power. The Ritva says that the Gaonim don't have the power to change the Talmud. They are the guarantors of the Talmud. They vowel-shaped the Talmud. They explain the Talmud. But they can't, they can't decide on their own that we're, we're changing things. And therefore, the Ritva, uh, the Meiri also uh, quotes this idea and says the Gaonim overstepped their power to be able to do this. And this, of course, takes us to one of the central issues of our whole series, which is what was the power of the Gona to do what they did? Um, now, it sounds like that this was the pushback against the Gona by the, by the Rosh, by the Meiri, by the Ritva. They weren't happy with what the Gona did and didn't feel they felt they overstepped themselves. However, um, in that, in the beginning of the, you know, as, as we enter into uh, the end of the 13th, the beginning of the 14th century, um, we find that Spanish communities made interesting taconas themselves. What was one of them? So here he is. Let me show it to you. It's called the, the Tolitoa Taconas, Taconas of Tolitoa. Now, um, let me show you what they were. What were they? And, and many people in Spain decided to do it. What was that? That was that the Baal, we called him Ruben before. Ba'oda Bachayim es Ezvon Ishto Shemesa in Bonel Yershel. What he should do is like this. Look, remember what we said before. Ruvain says to Yair, look, I'm sorry that Rochel has died. I inherited the big thousand Zuz Ksuba and the Dunya that, um, that she was connected to. Okay? I'll tell you what. 
I am going to give you as a gift. I might, I now have other children. Uh, let's say he got married, if he would say in a case where he was married to Leah beforehand. And he has another child. He has, he has, uh, I forgot what we called it, uh, Frye. So look, Yair, I'm going to give you half. You'll get half. You get half now. You don't have to wait for me to die. That was the takana that they made. So it was sort of like, in other words, Ksuvah's bin indichrin seems to have we become weak, despite the fact that people like the Rashper of Inuyona and Ramera Balafian and say, no, no, we should have it. The communities on their own came up with a different takana. And that was that split it. It's true. Uh, 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 Shmuel, Rachel's father, gave a tremendous nadunya. Rachel's dead. So the, the Takona of Toletolo said, hmm, Toletolo said, this is what we're going to do. In that case, Ruvain, it's incumbent on Ruvain to speak to Rachel's male children and say, I'm splitting what the uh, dowry was and the ksuva that I inherited from your mother. And that shows that they're definitely going to get it. And they'll get it now. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that they don't inherit anything else. Obviously, if, if Ruvain dies, they're going to get something too from other stuff that Ruvain owns. So that basically outdid the Talmud because the Takan of Toledo, which ended up spreading in many cities in Spain, again, it, 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 you could, it, it sort of like, it, it, it obviated the need because it basically, uh, right? Because according to that, and let me say it even better, they came up with another part of it. They also said that you should give money to all the children of Rachel, even Rachel's daughters. If Rachel has girls, you need to give their, them the money too. And because of that, Takana, that seemed to be even more enlightened, Rav Simcha Saf says, that's one of the reasons why Suvas bin Indichrin basically got eliminated. True, the Gaonim had their rationale. But the Takana that came, that came up in Spain was inventive enough and seemed to be logical enough to actually make it unnecessary. And it seemed to be even fairer. Okay, you're not gonna get the big amount, but you'll get a lot right now. You don't have to wait for this guy to die. And the sisters would get it too. The Russia's son, Rabbi Yehuda was asked um, uh, about this. And he says, you know what? Now that we have Takanas, now that we have Takonis Totolo. Yeah, I don't think there's a problem. Uh, that's why nobody cares about Suva's bin and Dichrit anymore. Um, that was the way it was in Spain. However, as Simcha Saf points out, in France and in Germany, there was no Takon of Toletolo. That didn't happen. Now, what was the Takonis in, in Spain, in, in, in France and Germany? I mentioned a number of weeks ago about Rabbeinu Tam. I mentioned Rabbeinu Tam after he was almost 
beaten to a pulp and died, returned to the city of his grandfather and became an activist rabbi. One of the takonas that Rabbeinu Tam came up with was that if, let's go back to our situation, where uh, Rachel is married to Reuven, if Rachel should die within the first two years of the wedding, and there are no children, so then uh, all of that big nadunya that Shmuel gave returns back to Shmuel or Rachel's other relatives. That was Rabbeinu Tam's way of dealing with the fear the Talmud had. Remember, the Talmud's fear was that Shmuel, the father of Rachel, would not give big money because of the possibility of Rachel's death. Rabbeinu Tam in France came up with a takana that if there is a death, that Shmuel doesn't have to worry. However, that takana is only if there's no children. But if there is a, uh, if there are children, then it would seem Ksuvah's bin in their country to apply. So, and the truth is, we see that the Rishonim of France and Germany said there should be Ksuvah's bin in their The greatest of those, the Russia's Rebbe, the Marami Rutenberg, said, he said, I know about the Gaonim, and I know they say that there shouldn't be Ksuvah's bin in their I'm not sure, the, the Maram said, if there was an actual bittel, did they actually have a convocation? Did they have the power, as the Ritva said, to even do that? But he said, that might have been, been true where they lived. So he doesn't say because, like the Ritva, they didn't have the power. He said it was not accepted. Because up here in Germany and France, we never accepted what the Gaonim did. We weren't masking. That's what he says. So therefore, the Maram said, it should be knowing. By the way, the Maram wrote this chuba when he was in prison. This was when the Maram refused himself to be, um, uh, to be redeemed, to be a prisoner in Anzisheim. And we know that the, his students came to, to have questions answered, and he would throw back the answers. Uh, he wasn't able to write them, but they were, uh, they were transcribed. And he says that, that again, he didn't have any sparring with them, but he said, we have not agreed to it. And based on the Tosfos, based on those great students of Rashi and the grandchildren of Rashi and others, we know that there should still be a ksuvas binindichren. But the, um, we find that it still seemed to have become, the Ashkenazim seemed to have wanted it to happen. And it seems it's gone. The Gaonim's work, <laughs> the seed of Bittal, seems to have spread from them. And as you can see, he says, he says, I looked in all the Svarim of Simchas Absets in the, in, the, in the 1300s, in the 1400s. I looked in the Mario, the Marivile, the Trumas Hadesha, the Maramins. It's gone. Why? He says it could be because after the Black Death, possibly, there just wasn't that type of money. There wasn't that type of money 
to sort of allow, you know, uh, the ch children from the first wife to inherit so much. Um, because of that, even though when the Jews reestablished themselves in Poland, which of course originally was great, the Dukes and others that wanted uh, the Jews to come to Poland realized the Jews' financial capabilities and that they would thrive there, but they brought with them the what, it, what, what they had remembered in Germany and France. And that's the reason why, despite the fact that their financial situations were better for quite a bit, Ksuva's been in Dichra and never came back. Um, Simcha Saf points out that um, that the uh, uh, the questions came up again in North Africa uh, after the um, expulsion of the Jews from Spain. We find in those forum should there be ksuvas bin in Dirkun or not, um, and we can find over there as well that um, most of the postkin of that period seem to have um, dismissed it. And I think Rav Simchasaf would agree with me that because of the records of the Gaonim, because of these records that still remained, for whatever financial reasons, whatever social reasons, the rabbis and the communal leaders of the time were able to use that push whether they overreach their boundaries or not, to pretty much eliminate something that was discussed, argued, and is over pages and pages in the daf. So as I said, in this area, the Gaonim clearly with their move of, of, of their sense of themselves, their sense of what they were able to do, they were able to indeed rip the page out of that Dafyomi and Ksuvas bin Adichran is now something which we only talk about in a theoretic way. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.